the Pacifica Radio Network and from the studios of KBOO in Portland, Oregon. This is The Beloved Community, resources for activism. I'm John Schott. My website is progressivespirit.net. That's progressivespirit.net. Today, my three guests represent alternative ways of forming communities of conscience. Deshna Ubeda is the director of progressivechristianity.org. She's taking on an ambitious project and hosting a festival in Portland, May 4th through 6th. It's called the Embrace Festival. You know, some people are coming because they're recovering from Christianity that Mm -hmm. they left because it was no longer relevant or it actually hurt them because they were excluded or demonized or villainized. Some people are coming because they are um, interested in theology from a historical perspective. Some people are coming because they are very um, interested in social justice movements or eco-ministry or interfaith relations. Greta Vosper is an atheist and a minister in the United Church of Canada, for a while at least. She was forced through a process of review because of her theological views. She talks about being an atheist and a minister and her community in Toronto, Ontario. Sam Harris, in in his book, The End of Faith, he does this thought experiment where we wake up one morning and and we don't remember anything. We don't remember language. We don't remember what foods we can eat. We don't remember anything at all. And he says, you know, at what point do we have to remember uh, the story of the virgin birth, right? Like that would be way down the list. And so that's kind of what happened at West Hill. We decided what are the things that, if we were starting this all over again, are the most important things to take forward. Brett Webb Mitchell is interim minister at St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church in Southwest Portland. He is a scholar, teacher, and author of 10 books. He's also a pilgrim. That's the discussion today. His latest book is Practicing Pilgrimage on Being and Becoming God's Pilgrim People. For, for those of us who are gay or lesbian, bisexual, trans, queer, questioning, or intersex in the LGBTQI community, there is, there is the, the useful metaphor of a closet. But there's, uh, for me, the, the next step was not only the closet, got that, <laughs> I felt that, but I needed a metaphor, I needed a, a way to talk about coming out. And for me, that was a pilgrimage. Great show today, let's get to it. My first guest is Deshna Ubeda. Welcome, Deshna, to the beloved community. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. What we're going to talk about today is the Embrace Festival, Sacred Community, Social Transformation, and Art. Tell me a little bit about it. Yes. um, Well, I'm I'm really excited to be able to share this event with you. Um, I believe that it's innovative and unique, and there isn't much else out there like this. Um, Something similar might be the Wild Goose Festival, which is an outdoor camping festival. Right, and it takes place in Appalachia. Yes, North but Carolina. this, yeah, um, but this is an in-city festival, and um, with a focus on sacred community and social transformation, and we really wanted to provide people with an opportunity to experience sacred community in a new way. Um, as you know, probably um, churches provided a certain amount of community and support networks for humans, you know, for thousands of years now. Mm -hmm. And as we've seen a decline in church attendance, um, many people, you know, are confident to say that church is dying. Um, We're also experiencing a vacuum of community in our neighborhoods, in our, you know, local towns. And I I think that people are craving a place to go where um, they can be seen, where they can be accepted, 
where they can get involved in meaningful and meaningful work around social justice, around social activism, around helping the needy, um, and where they have a sense of, of family and um, something deeper than just their own selves. So um, while uh, church is still relevant to very many people, I don't believe it's relevant to the younger generations anymore. And, um, you know, I certainly have a hard time finding a church that I want to attend. Um, not to say that there aren't a lot of really great churches out there, but they're rare. They're hard to find. Mm -hmm. um, and especially millennials um, just aren't going to go into a church, frankly. Maybe 7% of them would. And so while church is still relevant to, you know, certain demographics and certain people, um, it isn't to younger people. And a lot of people that I've talked to in my work feel very sad about that. They're very concerned that church is dying and there's going to be this spiritual vacuum for future genera generations. Um, but what I've seen in my experience, and I'm kind of in the middle of those, I'm not a millennial, but I'm not in the older generation of, of you know, hardcore churchgoers, um, although I was raised in a progressive church. Um, so I'm sort of in the middle of that. And what I've experienced is... Um, that younger generations are already um, and successfully co-creating new forms of sacred community. And you see a lot of that in these transformational festivals like Burning Man, like Beloved, um, like Envision, uh, Lucidity. And those are just examples of some um, symbiosis. So these are pockets, you know, these are events um, that occur and what happens is a culture is created there. These transformational festivals, people bring their gifts, people bring their unique offerings, and they end up co-creating this event, especially an event like Burning Man, where it's completely put on by the people. Um, and people offer something special that they have. And um, there are temples, there is um, a connection to the divine, to the spirit in all people, there is inclusion, there is acceptance, people are encouraged to be their unique selves and are accepted as they are. And that culture, um, and that includes uh, sacred economy culture, that includes um, a sustainability, so, you know, leave no trace and uh, some eco um, spirituality elements, and that includes bettering of ourselves and connecting with others and forms of prayer and worship and meditation, etc. Um, that culture that's created ends up bringing, you know, being brought back into local communities, into lives, and extending into our daily lives and affecting culture. You might hear here in Portland a lot, you know, uh, they're a burner, um, and that's relating to a person that goes to Burning Man. Um, and you can usually tell, and you know, there's, you have a certain amount of awareness around what that means if you're involved in those communities. So, you know, Burning Man brings 70,000 people a year out into the desert, you know, to create this incredible city of art and music and learning and connecting. And, um, those people go out into the world and affect, affect their culture there. So Embrace Festival um, I wanted to be able to share that experience with a different demographic, not just the younger people that are already involved in those festivals and those communities, 
but um, also, um, you know, middle generations and older generations. One thing that I have noticed that's lacking in a lot of transformational festivals are the older generations and in community in general. I have a great thriving community here and I lack it lacks some elders. And so I'm, I'm really hoping that we are bridging the gap um, age wise as well as between older forms of, of community and newer forms of community. So there really is uh, a generation gap, in a sense, as you talked about, yeah. between uh, the established uh, institutionalized churches and these new festivals mm-hmm. um, that are coming up all, all around. Mm-hmm. There's definitely, um, you know, older and elder people at these festivals, but there it's a it's a definitely like a slighter number, um, and I'm seeing that grow. Um, over the years, I've seen, for example, I've gone to Beloved for the last five years, and I've seen um, more and more elders come, and it feels so good to see them there because we need all of the above. While these younger generations have innovative ideas and they're very, you know, um, creative and uh, just you know, it's incredible, like the creative, powerful thinking that are coming out of these new generations that aren't constricted in some ways. Um, we are, you know, desperately needing the wisdom and experience of elder generations. Um, and then obviously the other element of that is the social transformation part of it. And I don't need to go on about how <laughs> great, you know, great in need we are, you know, in our world today um, for positive social transformation, for so- social justice movements, and not just um, talking about it, but actually learning, um, learning from people that are ha- make, you know, affecting positive change that will give us practical tools and guidance on how to go back into our local communities and affect change there, how to become leaders of social justice movements, how to create groups and um, you know, other forms of, of, of affecting change. So those are kind of the two elements. And you know, in sacred community, in social and personal and universal transformation, they're all kind of you know, together there. Um, I believe that art, music, dance, um, creativity are all really crucial aspects of that. I'm speaking with uh, Deshna Ubeda, who is organizing the Embrace Festival, which is coming up in Portland. And the dates of that are May 4th, 5th, and 6th? Yes, exactly. And this is the first of its kind in Portland? Yes, it is. Now, tell me, you mentioned the Beloved Festival. Mm-hmm. What, what is that and where has that been meeting? And how is this connect? How is this similar and different? Yes, yes. Good question. Um, so Beloved Festival is an, an incredible transformational festival that it occurs out in Tidewater Falls in Oregon. And it's a once a year festival that happens during the summer. Um, it is, you know, Beloved. It's based on the idea of sort of the roomy um, concept of the Beloved of the divine in all people. So one of their kind of um, main themes is to recognize everyone you come into contact with there as a part of the beloved, as a part of the divine. Mm -hmm. So it has that spiritual element of it and they bring world music and while, um, and it's camping in the woods. And while these kinds of festivals um, have more of a focus on music and dance and the, um, the sort of performance aspect of, of, you know, festivals. Um, we have a, a, a stronger weight on the learning aspects of it. So we'll be focusing a little bit more on presenters 
and um, our speaking um, engagements and such, um, and a little bit less on the musical aspect of it, but we'll still have both. But also some great musical groups. I look on the website, mm-hmm. which is embracefestival.org. Dot com. Dot, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. embracefestival.com. Mm-hmm. And on there, uh, some incredible uh uh, presenters as well as musicians and artists. I, I saw Matthew Fox as, mm-hmm. as one of the headliners, I suppose. Yep, he this is. This uh, certainly is up his alley. It is, yes. Matthew Fox is an incredible theologian and uh, pastor and author. He's written 28 novel, you know, books um, over the years. He has been at the front of this movement of um, progressing uh, Christian theology. Big on creation spirituality, his book that uh, got him in wonderful trouble with the Vatican, Original Blessing. Yes. Uh, so he's been uh, doing this for a long time. But he, but it, this is more than Christian. This is uh, a, a wide variety of spirituality. It probably has a home in Christianity, but it has a home in many spiritual traditions, including secular traditions, right? Uh, Greta Vosper is uh, one of the guests, too. Uh, she's um, a friend from Canada uh, who has become out as the atheist minister. Yes, exactly. I'm really glad you brought that up because that's a really important aspect of the event for people to understand that while there are some roots in progressive Christian um, theology and that movement, it's very expansive. The umbrella is wide. And we have a speaker, for example, who is a um, Reiki master and a shaman who's coming to speak about um, shamanism. And we have evolutionary spiritual speakers. Um, we have secular speakers. We have um, a man coming to speak on health equity, um, somebody speaking on conscious aging, um, a, an incredible psychologist friend of mine, Carrie Conti, who is speaking on um, basically raising a whole courageous human beings, so parenting, um, permaculture, nonviolent communication, um, sacred connecting, like Solsara, that's a local movement here. Um, so we're having someone come to speak about that. So yes, there is um, a wide variety of topics that fall under that umbrella of sacred community and social transformation. But we also wanted to address Christ consciousness and Buddha nature. And what does that mean to um, discover that within ourselves? And what is, how does that affect our lives? How does that affect our action in this world? You're listening to The Beloved Community, Resources for Activism. I, again, I'm speaking with Deshna Ubeda and uh, the Embrace Festival coming up May 4th through 6th in Portland. Tell me a little bit, what is kind of Portland about this? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. Yeah. So I thought that Portland, well, of course, I'm a local here, so it made it easy. But I thought that Portland would be the ideal location for this event because of its progressive nature. Um, Portland is a place where everybody is encouraged to be their unique self, similar to some of these transformational festivals. Um, you know, the, the motto, you know, keep Portland weird. Mm-hmm. And, and that means not that people are encouraged to be weird per se, but that people are encouraged to be their own unique, most creative expression of themselves. And I see that across the board. I see that in teens, in youth and adult, um, in businesses, um, in restaurants. So I see people really coming up with their, their special, unique offering, um, and we, of course, wanted to emphasize that inclusivity at Embrace and to encourage people to share um, who they are 
in their most fullest expression of themselves. And then, of course, Portland promotes um, sustainability, environmental justice, environmental awareness, and um, we're having a speaker on eco-ministry and taking care of our planet and how we can um, encourage others to do so. And so we'll have, um, you know, full low waste standards and recycling and um, sustainability practices throughout the event, um, but also a um, emphasis on just loving our planet and loving, you know, creating, um, you know, heaven here in this moment in this part of our world. So, uh, talk about some of the the Portland speakers. Are uh, do we have some, we have we have people from from Portland themselves, some alternative uh, spiritual community leaders and and whatnot. I mean. Yes, we do. Um, well, you'll be there. Well, yeah. Okay, I, I didn't mean to go there, but necessarily. But yes. But who, but but beyond that, we've got mm-hmm. some fascinating. Well, people. we're very excited that you're going to be there with us, and you're going to be um, on the panel for sacred community and social transformation. So, our Thursday event, we're going to have a panel of six individuals, and we'll basically be introducing the theme of the conf- or the uh, gathering then and uh, allowing people to do a question and answer and discussion amongst people. We have Jim Burklow coming. He's the Associate Dean of the Religious Life at the University of Southern California. And he's done a a lot of work with uh, Progressive Christians Uniting. He's gonna be talking about Christian mindfulness. Um, As I mentioned, a friend of mine, Carrie Conti, she's a psychologist, peri and postnatal psychologist. She's going to be talking about the whole courageous human and raising children. Um, we have some amazing local people coming as well. Um, we have a group of people coming from Revive Commons and Tabor Space, which is a local organization here, a nonprofit organization, um, who have a model of going into church buildings and reviving those spaces so that the churches can continue to exist in them and bringing in the neighborhood by bringing in classes and events and such. Um, Another woman named Michelle Hawk, she's um, a shaman and a a Reiki master. She's gonna be talking about shamanism, universal shamanism. Of course, we have Matthew Fox, who I'm sure will just delight us with his um, passion and his creativity and his intelligence and his awareness. Um, Rabbi Brian Mayer is a local Portlander as well. Um, he's a rabbi, and he's going to be talking about nourishing our connection, um, our spiritual inner being. Um, we have uh, Fred Plummer from ProgressiveChristianity.org. He's going to be speaking with us. John Robinson is coming to talk about conscious aging. We have a woman coming from Australia, Alexandra Sangster, who um, is a pastor there as well and who has done a ton of social justice work. So she's going to be sharing stories from literally, you know, work that she's done in the streets there, Um, you know, three-day-long protests in front of the courthouse and um, work with refugees and such. Um, Bruce Sangwin is coming from Canada, and he he's an incredible author as well. He's done a lot of work around evolutionary Christianity, and he's moved into um, counseling um, and therapy work using uh, psychedelics. So he's going to be talking about ayahuasca and different um, tools and such. And I think it's important to note that the, the way that our presenters are going to work is a little bit different than, for example, a conference or yeah, a different kind of gathering. Yeah, talk about that. How is it set yeah. up? Yeah. Um, so 
we are doing a short, um, you know, to use the term, you know, quote unquote, TED talk like presentations. Mm -hmm. So these are going to be 25 minute long presentations, um, three at a time. And we do have four um, featured presentations, which will be a little, little bit longer. They'll be 45 minutes long. But most of them will be these short 25-minute presentations, and they are ideas and stories that these presenters are passionate about. So these aren't lectures. Um, these aren't promoting their own, you know, their recent book. Um, these are the, the, the core nuggets of what these um, people who are doing incredible work in this world are currently really excited and passionate about and feel can positively affect the world. Um, so they'll be uh, very dynamic, fast-paced, and we will have a variety of media. Um, some will use screens, some will be interactive, some will have theatrical elements to it. So it'll be really fun, and we'll break in the afternoon for workshops, but mostly, most of the event is going to be a, a single-stage, main-stage event. And where will this be? Uh, the, the majority of the event will be at the incredible Portland Art Museum. Very excited that we that's were able. That's the main stage? That's the main stage. Um, Friday night, we are doing a celebratory event where we are bringing in musicians, live performers, live painters. We'll have a tea lounge. We'll have a full bar. We will have um, a dance floor and um, an area for people to purchase local artisan crafts and such. And um, we have incredible musicians talk coming about, for yeah, that. Yeah, let's talk yeah. about some of the musicians that you have coming. So we have two nights of music. Friday night is our celebratory event. Saturday night is our closing ceremony. Friday night is going to be in the Grand Ballroom at the Portland Art Museum. And that particular evening can be purchased separately. So that's important for people to know that if they can't make the full event, they can go to the website and purchase the ticket for that separately. And that night we'll have a band called Yaima. And we'll have a band called Indubious, both uh, Northwest locals. And we'll also have a local uh, favorite DJ called Dar Cernoff. Um, these musicians are going to make us dance. They're um, very inspiring. Their lyrics are always moving and encouraging and positive. And so um, this is going to be a moving kind of thing. It isn't just sitting and watching. Yes. It's there's uh, audience participation, we might say. Yeah. If wanted, there's going to be you know spaces for people to uh, sit and enjoy as well so that we can provide okay. the whole the whole spectrum of experiencing it. Um, and this was similar to what Matthew Fox has called his cosmic mass. Right. So, you know, he a long time ago uh, came across the electronic music scene and realized that it was the younger generation's new form of worship and healing and transforming. And so that's what's happening in transformational festivals is that, you know, less and less people are needing, you know, uh, you know, drugs or, or alcohol. And more and more, they're getting into their own spirit bodies through movement, through music, through connection with others. And um, a certain kind of music, electronic music, is... Um, it kind of connects all of your chakras, especially your root chakra. So it's very grounding. It's very um, moving. And um, yeah, so that'll be our Friday night celebration. 
and we're going to have um, just incredible dancers there and like I said live painting and just it'll be fun and then on Saturday night, we're going to go across the park to the UCC sanctuary for our closing ceremony. So this is First Congregational Church. Exactly. First Congregational Church, UCC. And um, that will be seated. It's a beautiful round sanctuary. You've probably been there. Um, and we will be bringing in ritual, meditation. Um, we will have Ashana there who does crystal bowl singing and she has one of the most angelic voices i've ever heard Mm. she's a very uh inspiring musician and we will also have pia another one of our local favorites here in portland um so pia and her band will be there she's um just an incredible song songstress and plays a variety of music or musical instruments she's just incredibly talented and um, a friend of mine, Christopher Bronzenwood, will also be playing an acoustic set there. So that night we will be um, a little bit more um, into the spiritual aspect of the musical element. And um, it'll be a very lovely, I think, And is close. that is that the close? That'll as, be the close of the event. Night. Yes. Now, will people um, go through the whole days? Can they take parts of it? Or so, pe- how does yeah, it work? I mean, um, everybody is welcome to come and go as they please. Of course, we encourage people to try to get it all in. It's only really two and a half days. It begins Thursday. Thursday noon? afternoon. Thursday afternoon through Saturday evening. Right. Okay. And the Thursday is an early entry ticket, but it's going to be really fun, I think. So I encourage people to, to look into that as well. Um, but then all day Friday and night and all day Saturday and Saturday night are like the two full days of the event. And we definitely encourage people to just to just plan on being there. We're going to have lunch breaks. We're going to have coffee and tea and some snacks available. We're going to have a village area um, at the Portland Art Museum um, adjacent to the sunken ballroom where the main stage will be during the day. And that will have um, local artisans and crafts and art and books and music available for purchase or to view, as well as some food offerings so that people um, don't have to leave if they want to purchase food on site. We'll have that available through our caterers. And um, then we hope that people come back after their workshop choice for our feature presentation in the afternoon. And then there'll be a nice long dinner break and then we'll have our evening events. This sounds fantastic. This is a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you must be working 36 hours a day uh, to It feels organize like that this. sometimes. <laughs> but how, how, do you have mm-hmm. an idea of how many people might participate in this? Yeah. Um, you know, we are, um, we're maxed out. Our capacity is about just over 700. So, of course, we're aiming for, for that amount. Okay. Um, we um, are offering scholarships. We're offering volunteer positions. We're offering group discounts. But I think that it has um, such a unique offering um, that um, if the word gets out, people will, will find it valuable to them. And it'll be very healing. You know, some people are coming because they're recovering from Christianity mm-hmm. that they left because it was no longer relevant or it actually hurt them because they were excluded or demonized or villainized. Some people are coming because they are um, interested in theology from a historical perspective. 
Some people are coming because they are very um, interested in social justice movements or eco-ministry or interfaith relations. So there's, you know, there's a, there's a wide offering here, and I think that people can find um, what they're looking for in their life. I think it's, it's very possible that they can find a piece of that here that they can take home with them. Deshna Ubeda uh, has been my guest talking about in the Embrace Festival, which is coming up in Portland, May 4th through 6th. And that website uh, again? Embracefestival.com. Embracefestival.com. And, and you uh, can find us on Facebook, Embrace Festival there. Sounds great. I hope, it, I hope you have a huge success. I think this is an exciting thing. Thank you, John. It's been a pleasure to be here. One of the presenters at the Embrace Festival in Portland is Greta Vosper. She's an atheist minister. She's the author of With or Without God, Why the Way We Live is More Important Than What We Believe. It doesn't matter whether I'm an atheist or a panentheist. My point is, using that language is exclusive. And I just don't want to use the language. So the work that West Hill does could have been done by a theist or a panentheist who said, hey, wait a minute, there's this entire sector and a growing sector in our population whose spiritual needs, whose desires to be in community, to engage on the important issues of life, that whole sector is being ignored. And I have the capacity to welcome them into my space. Greta Vosper, next on The Beloved Community. You're listening to The Beloved Community, Resources for Activism. I'm John Schack. Greta Vosper is an atheist minister. Full disclosure, so am I. Greta is a trailblazer, though, in theological exploration and in creating communities of conscience that find God language exclusive and irrelevant. She's the author of With or Without God, Why the Way We Live is More Important Than What We Believe. Welcome, Greta, to The Beloved Community. Wonderful to be back, John. Good to have you back. Uh, let's talk about all of this theist thing, <laughs> atheist and post-theist. I'm actually, uh, I've been emboldened by you. I, I now uh, uh, say, call myself a Christian atheist just because it's so marvelously jarring. Uh, and, uh, the, <laughs> you know, the idea, yeah, it, the whole thing is, is, is a human product. Of course it is. And this is really not anything, as if we've talked about this before, that hasn't really been talked about in higher levels of theological education? I think that the challenges that have come to us from theological education in the liberal tradition are that we have been given the tools of critical inquiry, and we have been invited to apply those tools to the stuff of our, of our uh, work, and that is the Bible, that is the, the vast uh, quantity of theological reflection that has gone before, um, and, and the stuff of uh, church leadership and, church, and being integri- having integrity in the pulpit. And so we can and have evolved uh, very intricate uh, descriptions of what we mean when we're talking about God or what, how we seek to approach the Bible. And we 
have mostly used those to explain and excuse uh, the ways that we use language in the context of our community's faith. And I think that um, perhaps one of the most embraced things of God in the United Church of Canada, certainly as was identified by a, a survey that I have a lot of problems with, but still it um, identified that about uh, well over half of the, or half of the clergy in the United Church of Canada have a panentheistic understanding of God. And I really, you know, I really don't care what the definition of panentheistic God is, except insofar as where does that leave me in terms of the doctrinal statements that the United Church is now trying to drill into us. So a panentheistic understanding is usually an understanding of God that pervades the universe, that is beyond the universe, that can interpenetrate the universe, may or may not have a supernatural interventionist element, um, but it's, you know, it's not anything that someone who is uh, not done significant reading on it would really understand as what we think God is uh, in the general public. So you have a majority of clergy who understand God in a panentheistic way. And that, for me, um, I have a hard time legitimizing the those kinds of names um, if we aren't also going to legitimize names like atheist when it comes to an understanding of God. Because a theistic, under, theistic God is a God with being, with character, with attributes, with which we can interrelate uh, generally. It's generally accepted that that's what it is. I don't think we can really do that with a panentheistic God. And I don't think we do that with an atheistic God. Like, if we have complex understandings of what God is, but we continue to use the word God to describe them, then it doesn't matter how intricate or how evolved or how um, broad-minded those understandings of God are. If somebody thinks when I'm using that word that I mean God in heaven or God who's going to answer my prayers or God who's going to, you know, provide me the right opportunities for my life when those opportunities are needed, um, I'm not getting across to people. So it doesn't matter whether I'm an atheist or a panentheist. My point is, using that language is exclusive. And I just don't want to use the language. So the work that West Hill does could have been done by a theist or a panentheist who said, hey, wait a minute, there's this entire sector and a growing sector in our population whose spiritual needs, whose desires to be in community, to engage on the important issues of life. That whole sector is being ignored. And I have the capacity to welcome them into my space if I just can find a way to make it more inclusive. Absolutely. So, Talk a little bit about, about West Hill, uh, if you don't mind, and the kind of folks who attend there and, and what they do get out of this community. Thank you, John, for that opportunity, because this is really a story about a congregation that has courageously uh, moved into a place beyond the language that defined it. For. And they have done so uh, in order to remove barriers. Uh, and there are people in that community who are believers and there are people who are not believers. But in the conversation about who we wanted to be as a community, 
what came to the fore was those values that we wanted to engage in. And it was kind of like Sam Harris in, in his book, The End of Faith, he does this thought experiment where we wake up one morning and and we don't remember anything. We don't remember language. We don't remember what foods we can eat. We don't remember anything at all. And he says, you know, at what point do we have to remember uh, the story of the virgin birth, right? Like that would be way down the list. And so that's kind of what happened at West Hill. We decided what are the things that if we were starting this all over again, are the most important things to take forward. And they pulled out of their tradition the elements of the story that had most meaning and purpose to them. And those were the elements about love, the struggle toward living with compassion, um, and the, all the contextual challenges that that, that places upon us, the the working toward justice, throwing ourselves against those impenetrable walls again and again in efforts to allow rights to be um, offered to people who have been denied them before. Voices can be raised for those who have been silenced or who believe that they're, they're not worthy of being heard. Those kinds of pieces that come to us, and many will say, that they come out of the gospel tradition. Some will say they come out of the ancient Hebraic tradition. Some will recognize that they come from a number of religious traditions. And many will say those are humanistic values. So that's what we, that's what we uplift there. And what you see when you come to West Hill is really, you know, you see a traditional church, like half the church is pews and half the church is chairs. And um, you do this stand up and sing hymns and, um, all, all of the words of which are focused on values and don't include exclusive terms about uh, deities or privilege a particular person as the most representative of love that ever was. Um, readings are the same. Readings, anything that is worthy of being brought into the space is read as a reading. So that doesn't focus us exclusively on biblical readings. We read them very rarely, actually. Um, you... You see, we have um, secular music that is brought in and shared with a choir, sometimes with a soloist. Uh, we have a lot of music that has been written specifically for our congregation by my husband, Scott Kearns, who is a, an extremely gifted uh, musician and composer. And um, it lasts, the service lasts about an hour and a half, and then we have a, a, a fellowship time after it. Uh, the first Sunday of every month, we have a potluck meal. So it's a, it's like any other church. We had a bazaar a couple of weeks ago to raise money, a Christmas bazaar. And, you know, it looks, smells, feels, and wags its tail like a church. We just don't have language as an exclusive thing. And what I think that that has, has done uh, in terms of creating an extraordinary community is that West Hill spends an hour and a half each week talking about what is important how we want to live, how we've failed that, how our lives are, you know, subject and vulnerable to all the vagaries of life, and we share them with each other as they as they hit us. And we are able then to step into every moment with a wide heart, um, prepared to do what needs to be done uh, that comes before us as a challenge, prepared to respond to the community beyond us, prepared to take action on a, on a national scale in, in terms of some of the challenges that, you know, the, 
that our values place before us. The approval of the Kinder Morgan pipeline um, has completely winded a lot of us. So we're talking about ways to do that, that our pension board refused for the third time in 10 years to divest of gold core stocks, um, which is another issue that I'm raising with my board. Like we know what's right and we know what's wrong and we know what we're going to deal with. We aren't fooling ourselves by just putting everything in biblical terms and using a language that isn't relevant to what's going on outside our door. Whatever we are talking about in that church is exactly what's relevant outside the door as well and vice versa. So we are deeply embedded in what's going on in our community and in the lives of the people that we serve. And, and it gives us a, a lightness on our feet when it comes to discern, discerning what it is we have to do. I appreciate uh, what you're doing. You are a trailblazer and are opening the conversation up for uh, many people, uh, whether they're within the church or without it. And it's uh, much appreciated. So all the best to you. Thank you very much, John. This is the Beloved Community. I'm John Schuck. Up next, I speak with Brett Webb Mitchell, author of Practicing Pilgrimage, on being and becoming God's pilgrim people. This is what we do. We walk for matters of justice, housing, equity. We're against misogyny. We're, we're against um, uh, any, anything that has to do with um, discrediting anyone of, of race or religion. I mean, the, again, this is the way of Jesus. Anyone, uh, regardless of gender or, or sexual orientation, identification, we walk for justice. That's, that's what we do. This is the beloved community. Stay with us. This is the Beloved Community on KBOO. Dr. Brett Webb Mitchell is a pilgrim, speaker, writer, teacher, ordained Presbyterian minister, parent, partner, and pet lover. In 1999, he came out as a gay man, and it was a pilgrimage that enabled him to be honest with himself. Currently, Brett is pastor serving St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church in Portland, Oregon, having been on the faculty of Duke University and North Carolina Central University in Durham, North Carolina. He is the author of 10 books and three on pilgrimage. His latest is Practicing Pilgrimage on Being and Becoming God's Pilgrim People. Brett directs the School of the Pilgrim, taking people on pilgrimage around the world and in their backyards. We discuss pilgrimage as spiritual awakening, liberation, and protest. Welcome, Brett, to the Beloved Community. Good morning. Well, talk about uh, pilgrimage. Uh, how, how did you get involved in uh, deciding to become a pilgrim? Right. Um, in the first few books I wrote on people with disabilities, one of the first few essays, I pulled on the image of people with disabilities, especially children with disabilities uh, that I was working with, primarily children with autistic-like behaviors that fell across that spectrum as being um, located or isolated in the public or town square and uh, of a medieval village. And they were kind of pilgrims without a church, pilgrims without an inn, pilgrims without a family, pilgrims without any kind of services providing them any kind of anchor. And so I used that metaphor. It seemed to work. I had read Canterbury Tales. I had seen and uh, read many travel essays. Um, came from a family that loved to travel, and, and that image seemed to work in my understanding of working with people with disabilities and trying to explain why they were not welcomed into the life of faith communities, per se. And um, 
I had two Catholic friends, one who was uh, the former um, secretary to Thomas Keating, who wrote about uh, centering prayer, and another, um, and his name was Paul, and Megan McKenna, who was a New Testament theologian. And they said, you know, you really write pretty things about pilgrimage. Too bad you've never been on one. And uh, they, they got me. And so they arranged that I go on my first pilgrimage in 1999, which was to Chimayo, northern New Mexico. It's a very holy site in which um, much healing comes. It's kind of the lords of the Americas, if you will. I was, I was transformed. Uh, it, it, is one, it was one of those experiences that kind of upset my apple cart. It changed how I understood discipleship, education, and the life of the church. It broadened my understanding of faith. It uh, broadened my understanding of not only of the Catholic um, traditions, but also of um, native spirituality, because a lot of the people who were on the pilgrimage with me were from Taos Pueblo. So it was both this kind of strain of, of um, Native American spirituality, as well as deep um, and, and kind of mysterious northern New Mexico spirituality that, that had this influence upon me uh, in walking 120 miles in six days, which, you know, you're, you're averaging around 18, 19, 20 miles a day. It's so out of my realm as a Presbyterian, as a Protestant, uh, in terms of understanding education and church and all, that I was hooked. Um, it was different than a hike. It was different than a vacation. It was different than a journey anywhere, than a um, historical journey that I had, had grown up with. And so that was the first one that kind of set my life um, towards understanding myself, not only literally, but also metaphorically as a pilgrim. And so... Mm-hmm. So what is it about the pilgrimage or the journeying that connects us to what is holy? Is, is it kind of an awakening to the yeah. impermanence of life? Yeah, or? yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, um, again, for the Muslim, Jew, and Christian, um, for us, our, our roots go back to Abraham and Sarah. And I think what's interesting is in all the literature, they are always pointed to, this couple are pointed to as the first pilgrims, as the first ones that God calls them to a new land. And so they follow God. They, they are the ones who are the chief doubters. I doubt that she's ever going to have a baby. I doubt that we're ever going to get anywhere. I doubt that there's anything that good's going to come out of this relationship. They are the chief doubters in which God keeps on showing them time and time again, now follow me and this will happen. Follow me, do this and this will happen. And so they become for us the paradigm, the prototype of a pilgrim life, because following that you have Moses following that. And for me, I think where it helped me in my faith um, was was understanding Jesus as one of the late brothers from the Teze community called Jesus the Pilgrim God. For me, especially as a gay man, um, what kept me in the faith when there was everything within our denomination in the Presbyterian Church, let alone other denominations, especially United Methodists and the like, who are still not at the party yet, um, what kept me in was not was not the politics of our church. It was the relationship with Brother Jesus or the Pilgrim God. I could relate and felt in my coming out, and this is this is this was crucial. 1999 wasn't only my first pilgrimage, but it was also the year that I was coming out of the closet, mm. and so it became. The power for me of the, the, the walking experience of putting on my shoes and lacing them up and walking also helped me become a metaphor by which I could understand the coming out process. For, for, for those of us who are gay or lesbian, bisexual, trans, queer, or questioning, or intersex in the LGBTQI community, 
there is there is the the useful metaphor of a closet. But there's, uh, for me, the, the next step was not only the closet, got that, <laughs> I felt that, but I needed a metaphor, I needed an, uh, a way to talk about coming out. And for me, that was a pilgrimage, that Brother Jesus gave me the tools, gave me the way, showed me the way of living honestly. And I, I even said this to the church this last week in a sermon, um, the sermon's title was Authenticity. Because Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew is talking about, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. And the first one of the first ones is, you know, um, not only not murder, but don't say anything false about an, uh, your sister or brother. Well, as a gay man, I had a lot of people talking about me. So I think that it was, it was always helpful for me to understand that my coming out process was a, was a pilgrimage in which Brother Jesus was walking with me, um, even though the church wasn't necessarily in terms of the institution, I had enough, enough brothers and sisters who were walking with me that I could understand that. So for me, for me personally, it's always been a most helpful practice, but also metaphor that I could, ex- and, and that I could explain what was going on within my life. But also I've, I have found other LGBTQI people who understand that it's a helpful metaphor for them as well. As you mentioned, because we're talking also about pilgrimages, social justice, you have a chapter on a pilgrimage, pilgrimage of justice and peace. You mentioned the civil rights movement. Uh, it seems like every week in Portland, we mm-hmm. have a march for justice in some sense of another Black Lives Matter or the Women's March right, or right. a march for housing justice, I know is, is coming up. So what makes a political march a pilgrimage? And is there a time when a march might not be a pilgrimage? Mm-hmm. I think, again, go back to it go back it goes back to the understanding of the mind of the and, and the awareness and social consciousness of the one who's on the journey so in in looking at for example Selma to Montgomery and 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 all that that was a that was a spiritual march um, the way that King and Abernathy and 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 the like uh, understood themselves I mean the Rosa Parks and and um, all these all, all these wonderful uh, figures of American history now they understood that the, that that their march of justice was was a, a justice that was declared by God, <laughs> and so they bracketed in such language. For me, most recently, as you know, coming from North Carolina, I was a early participant in what has has since become known as the Moral Monday marches. Right. Uh, Reverend Barber was at Duke when I was teaching at Duke. He was he he hung out, so I knew him as a student at Duke. Um, Reverend Barber has bracketed everything that he's done with the Moral Monday movement in North Carolina and beyond in the language of social justice, but of God's justice. Therefore, if you were to ask him, uh, excuse me, if you were to ask uh, Reverend Barber, are you a Democrat? Are you a Republican? Are you independent? He said, this is not about politics. He said, I would have been, I would have been strongly cursing the Democrats if they were practicing injustice as I would a Republican. So I think that's, that, that um, even with St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church, what I've tried to help us do is con- consider in what ways given the political day and age in which we live, what we do as a community of faith is based upon gospel justice so that it is it is free of of politics in terms of the body politics or the state politics, but is founded solely upon the politics of the kingdom of God. To use that language, I think 
John Howard, the late John Howard Yoder talked about that kind of thing. Um, Martin Luther King Jr. talks about that. Reverend Barber does. that. So that these marches, what we're doing is we're participating in an act of God's justice that goes beyond the politics of this day and age. The way we're reacting today, uh, I believe Jesus would have reacted to Caesar um, and Tiberius. And, and so there's really, I mean, this is nothing new to us as, as people of faith. This is, this is what we do. We walk for matters of justice, housing, equity. We're against misogyny. We're, we're against um, uh, any, anything that has to do with um, di- discrediting anyone of, of race or religion. I mean, th- again, this is the way of Jesus. Anyone, uh, regardless of gender or, or sexual orientation, identification, we walk for justice. That's that's what we do. We just have a couple of uh, minutes left. Uh, Brett Webb Mitchell, my guest, practicing pilgrimage is his book on on being and becoming God's pilgrim people. You have a website called School of the Pilgrim. I do. Uh, how do people enroll? Well, what they do is go on there, and what what it offers is ways of, uh, for example, if you will, hiring me out. Um, uh, because what I want to start doing uh, is. Offering, for example, say at uh, Southminster or, or St. Andrews, I did this last weekend, in fact, with First Presbyterian Church Corvallis, taking people on retreats, taking them um, on a two or three day retreat and helping people learn about the pilgrimage. And so what I'm more what I think I'm becoming, John, is I'm becoming an evangelist for pilgrimage. <laughs> and so I want people to understand. And there is. Because of the plethora of labyrinths that are around the area, interdenominationally as well as interreligious, I kind of want—I I kind of want to beckon people to take the next step, if you will, both metaphorically as well as literally, and go on a pilgrimage. Because I think that again, the labyrinths were created for those who could not go to Jerusalem, for example, or to Rome or Santiago de Compostela. So, what I'm wanting to do with School of the Pilgrim is offer my services to help people go on a journey. So. Uh, by creating opportunities in the Portland area or taking a group of people to Santiago. I'm taking a group of United, Method, United Methodist ministers in May. Um, I've invited a group of friends, for example, to go with me to Machu Picchu uh, in October. So constantly uh, inviting people to go along with me, as well as myself going on intentional pilgrimages by myself once a year so that I can keep on every year remembering who and whose I am. Practicing Pilgrimage on Being and Becoming God's Pilgrim People. Brett Webb Mitchell has been my guest. That's his book. And your website for your School of the Pilgrim? Uh, www.schoolofthepilgrim.com. Brett, thanks so much for being with me. I appreciate it, John. You've been listening to The Beloved Community, resources for activism. Find more information about The Beloved Community and my weekly show, Progressive Spirit, at progressivespirit.net. That's progressivespirit.net. From the studios of KBOO in Portland, Oregon, I'm John Shutt. Be welcome.